Section 12 of On Christian Doctrine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Josip. On Christian Doctrine by Augustine of Hippo. Translated by J. F. Shaw. Chapter 6 Utility of the Bondage of the Jews this bondage however in the case of the jewish people differed widely from what it was in the case of the other nations because though the former were in bondage to temporal things it was in such a way that in all these the one god was put before their minds and although they paid attention to the signs of spiritual realities in place of the realities themselves not knowing to what the signs referred still they had this conviction rooted in their minds that in subjecting themselves to such a bondage they were doing the pleasure of the one invisible god of all and the apostle describes this bondage as being like to that of boys under the guidance of a schoolmaster and those who clung obstinately to such signs could not endure our lord's neglect of them when the time for their revelation had come and hence their leaders brought it as a charge against him that he healed on the sabbath and the people clinging to these signs as if they were realities could not believe that one who refused to observe them in the way the jews did was god or came from god but those who did believe from among whom the first church at jerusalem was formed showed clearly how great an advantage it had been to be so guided by the schoolmaster that signs which had been for a season imposed on the obedient fixed the thoughts of those who observed them on the worship of the one god who made heaven and earth these men because they had been very near to spiritual things for even in the temporal and carnal offerings and types though they did not clearly apprehend their spiritual meaning they had learned to adore the one eternal god were filled with such a measure of the holy spirit that they sold all their goods and laid their price at the apostles feet to be distributed among the needy and consecrated themselves wholly to god as a new temple of which the old temple they were serving was but the earthly type now it is not recorded that any of the gentile churches did this because men who had for their gods idols made with hands had not been so near to spiritual things chapter seven the useless bondage of the gentiles and if ever any of them endeavour to make it out that their idols were only signs yet still they used them in reference to the worship and adoration of the creature what difference does it make to me for instance that the image of neptune is not itself to be considered a god but only as representing the wide ocean and all the other waters beside that spring out of fountains as it is described by a poet of theirs who says if i recollect aright thou father neptune whose hoary temples are wreathed with the resounding sea whose beard is the mighty ocean flowing forth unceasingly and whose hair is the winding rivers this husk shakes its rattling stones within a sweet covering and yet it is not food for men but for swine he who knows the gospel knows what i mean 
what profit is it to me then that the image of neptune is used with a reference to this explanation of it unless indeed the result be that i worship neither for any statue you like to take is as much god to me as the wide ocean i grant however that they who make gods of the works of man have sunk lower than they who make gods of the works of god but the command is that we should love and serve the one god who is the maker of all those things the images of which are worshipped by the heathen either as gods or as signs and representations of gods if then to take a sign which has been established for a useful end instead of the thing itself which it was designed to signify is bondage to the flesh how much more so is it to take signs intended to represent useless things for the things themselves for even if you go back to the very things signified by such signs and engage your mind in the worship of these you will not be anything more free from the burden and delivery of bondage to the flesh chapter eight the jews liberated from their bondage in one way the gentiles in another accordingly the liberty that comes by christ took those whom it found under bondage to useful signs and who were so to speak near to it and interpreting the signs to which they were in bondage set them free by raising them to the realities of which these were signs and out of such were formed the churches of the saints of israel those on the other hand whom it found in bondage to useless signs it not only freed from their slavery to such signs but brought to nothing and cleared out of the way all these signs themselves so that the gentiles were turned from the corruption of a multitude of false gods which scripture frequently and justly speaks of as fornication to the worship of the one god not that they might now fall into bondage to signs of a useful kind but rather that they might exercise their minds in the spiritual understanding of such chapter nine who is in bondage to signs and who not now he is in bondage to a sign who uses or pays homage to any significant object without knowing what it signifies he on the other hand who either uses or honours a useful sign divinely appointed whose force and significance he understands does not honour the sign which is seen and temporal but that to which all such signs refer now such a man is spiritual and free even at the time of his bondage when it is not yet expedient to reveal to carnal minds those signs by subjection to which their carnality is to be overcome to this class of spiritual persons belonged the patriarchs and the prophets and all those among the people of israel through whose instrumentality the holy spirit ministered unto us the aids and consolations of the scriptures but at the present time after that the proof of our liberty has shone forth so clearly in the resurrection of our lord we are not oppressed with the heavy burden of attending even to those signs which we now understand but our lord himself and apostolic practice have handed down to us a few rites in place of many and these at once very easy to perform most majestic in their significance and most sacred in the observance such for example as the sacrament of baptism 
and the celebration of the body and blood of the Lord. And as soon as anyone looks upon these observances, he knows to what they refer, and so reveres them not in carnal bondage, but in spiritual freedom. Now as to follow the letter, and to take signs for the things that are signified by them, is a mark of weakness and bondage. So to interpret signs wrongly is the result of being misled by error. He, however, who does not understand what a sign signifies, but yet knows that it is a sign, is not in bondage. And it is better even to be in bondage to unknown but useful signs than by interpreting them wrongly to draw the neck from under the yoke of bondage only to insert it in the coils of error. Chapter 10. How we are to discern whether a phrase is figurative. But in addition to the foregoing rule, which guards us against taking a metaphorical form of speech as if it were literal, we must also pay heed to that which tells us not to take a literal form of speech as if it were figurative. In the first place, then, we must show the way to find out whether a phrase is literal or figurative. And the way is certainly as follows. Whatever there is in the word of God that cannot, when taken literally, be referred either to purity of life or soundness of doctrine, you may set down as figurative. Purity of life has reference to the love of God and one's neighbor. Soundness of doctrine to the knowledge of God and one's neighbor. Every man, moreover, has hope in his own conscience, so far as he perceives that he has attained to the love and knowledge of God and his neighbor. Now all these matters have been spoken of in the first book. But as men are prone to estimate sins, not by reference to their inherent sinfulness, but rather by reference to their own customs, it frequently happens that a man will think nothing blamable except what the men of his own country and time are accustomed to condemn, and nothing worthy of praise or approval except what is sanctioned by the custom of his companions. And thus it comes to pass that if scripture either enjoins what is opposed to the customs of the hearers, or condemns what is not so opposed, and if at the same time the authority of the word has a hold upon their minds, they think that the expression is figurative. Now, Scripture enjoins nothing except charity, and condemns nothing except lust, and in that way fashions the lives of men. In the same way, if an erroneous opinion has taken possession of the mind, Men think that whatever scripture asserts contrary to this must be figurative. Now, scripture asserts nothing but the Catholic faith in regard to things past, future and present. It is a narrative of the past, a prophecy of the future and a description of the present. But all these tend to nourish and strengthen charity and to overcome and root out lust. I mean by charity that affection of the mind which aims at the enjoyment of God for his own sake, and the enjoyment of one's self and one's neighbor in subordination to God. By lust I mean that affection of the mind which aims at enjoying one's self and one's neighbor, and other corporeal things, without reference to God. 
again what lust when unsubdued does towards corrupting one's own soul and body is called vice but what it does to injure another is called crime and these are the two classes into which all sins may be divided but the vices come first for when these have exhausted the soul and reduced it to a kind of poverty it easily slides into crimes in order to remove hindrances to or to find assistance in its vices in the same way what charity does with a view to one's own advantage is prudence but what it does with a view to a neighbor's advantage is called benevolence and here prudence comes first because no one can confer an advantage on another which he does not himself possess now in proportion as the dominion of lust is pulled down in the same proportion is that of charity built up chapter eleven rule for interpreting phrases which seem to ascribe severity to god and the saints every severity therefore and apparent cruelty either in word or deed that is ascribed in holy scripture to god or his saints avails to the pulling down of the dominion of lust and if its meaning be clear we are not to give it some secondary reference as if it were spoken figuratively take for example that saying of the apostle but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of god who will render to every man according to his deeds to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality eternal life but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the jew first and also of the gentile but this is addressed to those who being unwilling to subdue their lust are themselves involved in the destruction of their lust when however the dominion of lust is overturned in a man over whom it had held sway this plain expression is used they that are christ's have crucified the flesh with their affections and lusts only that even in these instances some words are used figuratively as for example the wrath of god and crucified but these are not so numerous nor placed in such a way as to obscure the sense and make it allegorical or enigmatical which is the kind of expression properly called figurative but in the saying addressed to jeremiah see i have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down there is no doubt the whole of the language is figurative and to be referred to the end i have spoken of end of section twelve